aside from having to talk to me, how is your day going so far? <laughs> you know, it's been a busy promo type morning. I've been answering uh, email interview questions and recording liners and all that kind of fun stuff that you do when there's a record coming out. Right. It's almost like the album is 10% of the work and then 90% of it is talking about it, smiling, selfies, radio IDs and all that. It, that's kind of been your career now for 30-ish years where they go, oh, new album, we got to put him out there like that. Yeah. And all that said, because I'm very well versed on your, your catalog, when you were playing with Morris Day in the time, or at least Morris, did you know outright, hey, I want to be at the the focal point, I want to be doing the radio IDs? <laughs> you know, it, honestly, I think it was all the way back then in 1985 where I maybe first got the glimmer of a notion that this might be interesting for me to be out front. Because, you know, Morris had a whole section in his show where he would invite a woman up on stage and pretend to seduce her at a table with candles. And, and then they would leave and he would have a costume change. And that was when they worked my saxophone into the show because I was mainly a keyboard player in that band. And Morris was gone and I was playing these huge arenas. It was my first gig with the sax, just soloing for minutes, minutes, minutes at a time. And I thought, you know, this doesn't suck too bad. I kind of like this feeling. Uh, but it was another eight years before I made my first record after that. Sometimes you hear about people who have very successful solo careers, that it was all a happy accident, that the one feature they did got an A&R guy person going, oh, you should be the star. So I didn't know if it all went back to your days of, say, White Plains, or, you know, it was just an accidental thing, the solo career. You know, really, it was, it was, a, I it was really, a, when I first started, I was just glad to not be delivering pizzas to pay the rent anymore. And, uh, and I was glad to be working as a sideman, which I did. I bounced from gig to gig to gig and was trying to do the whole networking thing and build up a career as a session studio musician and all that stuff. But really, towards the end of that seven or eight years when I was doing that for a living, I did start to really get frustrated and feel like, you know, I might as well just be working at McDonald's because I, I, I wasn't creatively satisfied and mm -hmm. I was recreating other people's work and going out on stage and sort of parroting the, the album that someone else had made. And, uh, and I got bored a little bit and I had already started writing my own music. And so it became this burning passion for me to have people hear what I had to say. And, uh, but that wasn't until much later. Well, speaking of new music, the new album is Detour. And I think most people the first exposure they have to Detour is Bring It Back, or at least that was my first exposure. When in the process was Bring It Back written and produced? Was it one of the first? No, it's one of the last. It's actually one of the last songs that, that uh, came on the record. Um, I had written a bunch of other songs with Jairus Mosey, the guitar player, producer, songwriter, and... Um, I was just a couple songs short and I said, hey, you know, you got any other ideas? And he sent me this groove and guitar part and uh, I came up with that melody right away. It was just like, oh, I connected with it. And as soon as I wrote what I was gonna play, I thought I need a trumpet on this song. Just had that energy that said brass to me. And um, then it was a process of thinking who was I gonna get? And, and since the record is called Detour and it's all about, you know, maybe taking unexpected paths, right. I thought let's try and get somebody fresh and new. And I had seen a video of Kamasi Washington playing on YouTube and Dante Winslow was up there on the front line, you know, just blowing his butt off. And, and I thought, what about this guy? You know, I'd never met him before, but I liked what he was doing. So I 
just kind of tracked him down and reached out to him. And next thing you know, he came over to my studio and, and, and played this blazing solo. And I think that the conversation at the end of that song between the trumpet and the sax is like my favorite moment on the record. What's the common ground besides, hey, we're both excellent musicians who are working today. Is it a sports team? You know, of course, there's only so far with you could, how far you can go with, hey, how are you? Oh, the weather is nice. Uh, do this again on the second take. Do you hit that point with him in particular where it's like, oh, we both follow the Dodgers? I, I am not a sports fan. There are many musicians who do connect on that level. A lot of the guys I know love basketball and such, but um, I'm not a sports fan. So I'm, I've always been a little bit boring in that respect that I'm very much about the work. And mm. when people come over, you know, we, we hang out for a little while, but it's all about making music. You know, that's the thing that we really share is music. And, and that makes yeah. us all part of the same tribe, no matter what our other interests are. I'd say that because some of the sessions that I've been in and been around, you find that the people do three or four takes, even though they've been there for seven hours. And it's just about four to five hours of talking shop and laughing yeah. about bad gigs and all that. But it sounds like you're a productive bunch over there. Yeah, I don't I don't mess around too much. <laughs> I like to, you know, a lot of people do like to chat and I'm like, okay, let's get back to <laughs> there you go. So something else that I've no idea about with your career. I find in having been to Japan a lot of times that a lot of ours have this huge career doing the the jazz clubs and theaters and festivals in Asia before they've really made a name for themselves over here. Or that might be the case with uh, one of your collaborators, Lala, Anth uh, Lala Hathaway, rather. She has done amazing with music festivals in the Caribbean way before she had a name over here. In your case, was the US the market where you broke first? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, this is, I think my audience is mostly over here. I played a couple of the European festivals. I did North Sea, I did Montreux. Um, I played in clubs in Tokyo and Osaka a few times, most recently at the Billboard Live. And, and that was the best show that we'd had was right before the pandemic. We were over there and it went really well. So we were thinking maybe we can start coming over here more regularly now. But most of my, my audience is here. You know, I think it was just having the exposure of the urban adult radio here and then the smooth jazz radio here and all that stuff as people have, how people found out about me. And um it's just, you know, luck of the draw, which you get to happen. But um, it's great having Layla on the record. I mean, that's that's another huge bright spot on the record for me. I've, I've wanted to work with her for so many years. And finally, we got together. And it's 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 a really strong track. I got uh, Layla's name wrong because I was just thinking in the back of my mind when I interviewed Lala Anthony. And uh -huh. Lala Anthony, Layla Hathaway, and the names yeah. are just swirling right there. She's a heck of a singer. Incredible. Uh, but but Billboard Live in Tokyo, is that the one that's in the middle of a shopping mall? Like a really high-end club in the middle of a mall? It, it might be. I got to tell you, I didn't even see the front of the club. You know, we came in through the garage and, I, and up through the kitchen. And I hung out in the dressing room and, the, and the, the venue itself. And I have no idea what building it's in. Isn't that funny? Next time you'll figure it out. The, yeah. the artist entering through the kitchen old as good fellas and beyond that. Um, yes. so, so back to you. It's cool to see your output has been steady the past couple of years. You know, new album in 2020, new album in 2022. A lot of the interviews that I tape, the people talk about a, the kind of malaise that they felt due to COVID. They weren't feeling creative and inspired, but you pushed forward and pushed through. Uh, are you a home studio-based artist? 
Yeah, I'm in my home studio now talking to you. I made 90% of the record here. You know, I cut the drums and the percussion at Sunset Sound, which is around the corner. Of it. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I do almost everything here. And uh, it's a great benefit to be able to, it's in the backyard. And uh, I can just roll out and get to work. I did experience a creative malaise during the, the pandemic. I really did, you know, 18 months or so when I was home, we were all locked down. I didn't, people are like, are you taking this opportunity to write? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't feel, I'm not feeling it. It was just too weird. Um, but once we started back on the road, I guess middle of 2021, things started to loosen up and that just started my wheels turning again. And then the label picked up my option. And it's like, oh, I guess I better get to work. And uh, luckily once I came out here and really kind of just put my thinking cap on, I realized they had a lot of pent up ideas that wanted to come out. That label that you mentioned, Concord Records, it's interesting to see as a person following the music industry, how they basically become a major label without everyone realizing. You look at some of those acquisitions and catalogs they picked up in recent years. So it sounds like you have the benefit of, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but as the person who records at home, calls your own shots, being a cottage industry, but having that major label adjacent kind of distribution and marketing hand to it. I like having a label. I know many artists have, you know, always wanted to have their own label and love being independent. And but I, I prefer having people who are professional marketers and, you know, the <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you mean. Um, you know, David Lee Roth might be able to call his own shots, but that doesn't mean that there is a marketing plan attached to it and the actual structure of the campaign, which is what the professionals will give you. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is, it's a great home for me. It has been for a number of years and, and uh, they're doing a really great job, you know, keeping the, the, the ship moving forward. And, and um, it's great for me just to be able to concentrate on the music and not have to run this giant. I mean, it's a big endeavor to get a record and all the different ways that music reaches people now. It's very confusing and, and I'm not really up on it like a lot of people are, you know, and so, um, I'm grateful to have a label and I'm grateful that they're still into working with me. And it's, it's a good collaboration. It's a good team. Well, whether or not you're up on it, is there a Boney James TikTok account? No, <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. I was just talking to Layla yesterday. We were, we were shooting the, uh, the, the uh, video for the new song and, and, and um, doing some promo. And she was all like, I'm addicted to TikTok. And I, I, don't, I don't even have an account. So I'm old school. There's some artists who go, I'm old school, therefore I will not get the TikTok account. There's other people who say, ironically, I'm gonna not post lip sync or dance videos. I'm just gonna promote whatever I feel like. And then there's the other people that go, hey kids, show me what it is that you're supposed to do and I'll do it. So <laughs> there's a lot of different ways to do TikTok. That's what I gather. You know, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are enough for me. And yeah. uh, I'm gonna leave it like that for now until until someone forces me to get on TikTok, which probably will happen eventually. Eventually. Uh, so putting the compliments back at you here, you know, you've won so many awards from so many different societies, millions of records sold cumulatively over the years, playing big arenas, decade, or in some countries it's arenas, others it's theaters, festivals, but playing big venues around the world for decades. Now, is there anything that you're still hoping is gonna happen in your career that hasn't happened yet? Well, I mean, I've been nominated for four Grammys. So I'd love to take home a statue. You know, that would be nice. Um, I'm not going to lie. That's it's something like, 
every musician kid I think grows up dreaming of and uh, you never know one of these days I'll get lucky but I mean honestly I have to pinch myself all the time the fact that this is my 30th anniversary this year as a recording mm -hmm. artist first record came out exactly 30 years ago and uh and i i it's amazing to me that it's it's gone on this long and still seems to be going strong right solid if i did my research correctly was your highest charting oh. billboard 200 pop yeah. up not a not a genre oriented thing oh. mainstream top 200 it was when pretty wild. That, i mean that has to have that has to be really fulfilling the reason i say that is because you were still you you didn't do any embarrassing cash in albums over the year. You just, in a way, kind of doubled down and went, this is my business and this is my injury. Uh, injury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a real good point. And I think that, you know, people often ask me how I account for the success that I've had. And, and I'm like, I'm just trying to be myself and make music that I love. And, and it seems that there's people out there that, that can relate. And yeah. uh, so I'm just going to keep doing it. But it was a real kick to see the chart with like Lady Gaga and me in close proximity. It's like, wow, that's that's unusual and, and fun. Sure. Well, down to the last two questions here before I let you go. So the next journalist can ask you the same exact questions I've asked already and shower you with more compliments. The first one. What is the secondary name that people call you besides Boney? In other words, like if you're talking to, to Robert De Niro, you want to claim like you know him you say oh, i speak to bob i speak to bobby is there like a, a different alternate name that people get to call once they're honorable with you well you know it really depends how you know me and people that knew me before this nickname kind of became my name which was golly longer than 30 years ago now it must have been yeah i think it was 86 87 people started calling me bony and and then a huge swath of people in my life met me as Boney and think of me as Boney. But of course, you know, my wife and, and my mom and, 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 and the brother, you know, they call me Jimmy. So. You never know. I mean, Alice Cooper, he's, he has said the only person who doesn't call him Alice and calls him Vince is his mom. Right. So you're in Alice's band. You're still calling him Alice. You say Alice, he turns around. You say Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne turns around, doesn't answer to John. I didn't know if you eventually crossed that gap where like it's Boney or it's nothing. No, no, no. I, I have a couple of identities, but uh, my wife has to keep track of what company we're in, you know, because then she has to call me Boney when there's people around that only know me as Boney. So it's funny. Sure. My last question for you has nothing to do with your fantastic new album, Detour. It's, do you have a television recommendation you could pass along? Like a new show that my wife and I should be starting, because every time we start a show, we're done with it in four days and we go, what's next? I actually... I've really been in, and I haven't seen the last episode because my wife is out of town. So we, we've missed the last episode and it's waiting in our queue. But we enjoyed The Old Man with Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. Hmm. I really good. Kind of a fun, thrillery, you know, spyish kind of thing. That was off my radar. Is that Netflix or do we know? I believe it's FX. Oh, FX never does you wrong. I think so. Cool. I could be wrong about that, but that's what that's that's what I'm thinking it is. <laughs> well, thank you for that recommendation. Thanks for the many years of great music and looking forward to seeing you live in New York whenever that next run is out here. Thank you, man. Hey, Darren. Hey, thanks for your time. How's your day going aside from having to do media? I'm pissed off because I can't park in front of my studio because all these knuckleheads that's in an industrial area.
and these guys park all these beat ass cars in front like for three hours and it's like my wife can't get into her studio which is right next door so i got a pissed off wife so good always good and i'm irritated because i have to do this interview for my car but that being said i'm doing well how are you I'm okay. I'm glad to be speaking with you again. And we're going to keep it short but sweet so you can park better and get out into that wonderful uh, weather. Are you wearing that New York cap because you're speaking with a New Yorker or is it just uh, you, oh. you better You better take a look. You better ask somebody. You see, you will when never, you have your head down, you will, like a Yankee. You, will never, you will never see a Yankees hat on this head, ever. Well, there I you. mean, I, I was given one by a Yankee and I'm not going to say who, but you know who he is. I'm like, brother, that's very kind of you, and I'll keep it, but I'm not going to wear it. He's like, come on. Well, like, nope. Been a Dodger fan since I was seven years old. 50, I'm 60 years old. Do the math. Ain't changing. Well, before I ask you about World of Noise, I had one stupid question, and that's, does anyone in the world call you Artie, or are you art to everyone? There is one person that's called me Artie that hasn't got punched in the face. <laughs> one guy. I'm not fucking around. I'm not Just lying. One. One guy, Dickie Barrett from the Mighty Mighty Bostones. Makes Dickie sense. Dickie can come because he's he's one. I get to call him Dickie, and two, he kind of used to scare the shit out of me. He's not so scary anymore, but back in the '90s, he was fierce. The uh, voice is Audie, Audie, Audie boy, come here, come here, Audie. I'll take it from him. It's part <laughs> of the culture, right? Anybody else gets whipped on. Well, hey, I, uh, God, I I got kicked out of like. Fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, and I think probably ninth grade for people calling me Artie and I punched him in the face. Wow. Okay, lesson learned. Let's get the word out on that. So 30th anniversary of World of Noise, which I did own in the mid-90s. Kudos to me. You did. But uh, the reissue of it, this deluxe packaging, is it because the rights reverted back to you upon 30 years? No, 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 no. No, the rights reverted back to me in 99, but I wasn't, in 99, I was, I had bigger fish to fry. I wasn't worried about world of noise. There was still, there was still some uh, pieces out there that people could buy. So I wasn't really worried about it. And at the time there was no digital platforms. It was Sean Napster talking about cultural revolution and shit like that. Yeah. So that wasn't an issue. By 2010, you started seeing you know, iTunes, or even before that, iTunes and Spotify and Pandora and, and services like that, that became a thing about 10 years later after it reverted back to me in 99. And I was going to do it, but to be honest with you, I wasn't all that excited about it because I didn't like the sound of the mastering that Capital had done. And I couldn't find, I, I didn't know where the original tapes were. I thought they were gone. And I went through storage this year. My, you know, got me and a couple of guys from the band, and my wife got all Marie Kondo on stuff, you know, over the holidays. Sure. In January, I found a box that was all taped up that I thought was, I thought it belonged. We had marked it that it belonged to her mom, to my wife, my mother-in-law, and I'm like, oh fuck it, I'm gonna look in here and see what it is, so I can tell her what it is she needs to get out of my storage right mm -hmm. and i look in it and it's full of tapes so i'm in boxes so i'm just sitting there just naked you know and i'm like 
oh my God. And I start looking through it. I've got all the original master four inch, four quarter inch eight tracks, right. for World of Noise. I've got the original uh, master and the mixtapes for World of Noise. I got the original mix and master tapes for the band before World of Noise Color Figure, which copies of that CD are selling anywhere from three to five hundred dollars online. Right. So I'm gonna put I'm gonna put that out next year. But no, I when I found that I'm like you know the 30th anniversary of the band. We recorded it 30 years ago. Let's do it. Let's do it now. And I had to pay a bunch of money out of my pocket to like have uh, an archivist clean the tapes, bake the tapes. That was my next question. Uh, Anytime I speak to somebody who does an archival thing, Gene Simmons told me about baking the tapes. Don Dockett told me about baking the tapes. You had to bake the tapes too. Well, I didn't bake them in my, 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 my Viking stove. Right. Not in your, no, it's a special guy. You go to this guy. He's great. He's wonderful. He's been around for years. Uh, and uh, I was referred to him by a friend of mine. And he did all the tapes and dropped everything down to two different hard disks. So I got backup. And, I mean, serious hard disks, like big, mm-hmm. big ass, you know, like 10 terabyte type hard disk. And uh, which is ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But um, it's, I got everything there. So we're going to put out vinyl. We, we put it on social, on digital platforms, social platforms, digital platforms, uh, June 10th. And now we're vinyl CDs because apparently some people still buy CDs. Some do, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Who knew? But, and cassettes because the kids love the cassettes. Yeah. Even if they don't listen to it, you know, kids collect them and trade those cassettes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay. They think it's kitsch and cool. I think cassettes suck. I've always thought cassettes suck. They sound horrible. Yeah, usually they do. But there's a lot of there's a lot of titles that never came out after cassette. So that's kind of your only hope. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, we'll see. But anyway, that's going to be end of the year, early next year. It's it's uh, the deal's in place. It's happening. We're getting artwork done and stuff. So it's going to be it's going to be a really cool vinyl package. But other than that, um, no, I wasn't waiting for anything. I just, you know, I just I eventually was going to do it with the mastering from '94 that Capital did without my OK, which was against our contract. I could have sued him for it, but at the time I'm selling millions of records. I'm really going to sue my label. Label, not a good idea. Yeah. So, Usually does yeah. not end well unless you want your stuff to never be licensed again. So you know, kudos. not by not by them. Yeah, I mean, you don't sue somebody unless you want to get a divorce. You're not gonna you're not gonna sue somebody and then have a happy marriage after that. It doesn't work. Probably you know? not. Probably not. So one of ninety nine times out of a hundred, no, doesn't work. So beyond your catalog. One of the things I admire about you is how you've evolved and always taken chances that you're not just the dude from Everclear who wrote and sang the songs, you know, A&R work, producing and writing for other artists, acting, the congressional work you did. One thing I was curious about was if back in the days of World of Noise that you knew you wanted to do all that or it's just organically all that happened for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I acted as a kid and people got really excited about it, but 
I was not that excited about it. I like doing it, but you know, I mean, I had agents telling my mom I was going to be the next James Dean and all this shit. I was like 14, 15. I'm like, guys, I want to play guitar in a rock band. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking also, I want to, I want to get laid and I want to do drugs. Those are the three things I want to do. And going to acting school, not that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit the, the you know the look. But um, so all joking aside, I like to do a lot of stuff, and I, I, you know, the term Renaissance man and all that is kind of pretentious. I just like to work, and if I got creative ideas, I wanna, I wanna do them. I like music. If I hear other bands, I wanna work with them mm-hmm. if, if they excite me. They don't excite me. Even if they got hits, I refer them to other people. I, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to ever do anything that isn't fun. If I'm not enjoying it, I don't want to do it. I make a good living. I don't. I'm not. Right. Greed has never been a thing for me. Like being rich, rich, rich. I'm the kind of guy that won't buy a lottery ticket when it's a million, a billion dollars because I don't want a fucking billion dollars. I don't want. I don't want my life to change. Like $22 million. Yeah, I could get down with that. After taxes, I'd have about 10. Yeah, I could I could get down with 10 grant, $10 million. I don't have to worry about if if I end up in a wheelchair because of my MS, I'll have some money. You know, that's how I think. I'm very middle class is what I aspire to. Seriously. It's, it's seriously what I aspire very to. Very refreshing to hear. And another thing that I'm very curious about is. I think that you really led the way with the Summerland tour that you kind of showed, hey, this is a successful thing with representing bands from an era. And then you get the people who go, I like 90s music in the room. And then you can play the new stuff and wow them with the new stuff. But this current tour is not being billed as Summerland, even though you have some quote 90s bands on it. Is Summerland coming back? I think so. I think so. We'll take a look at it next year. I think so. We, we've actually got a couple offers from bigger bands to open for the next year. And it might be nice to recharge and do that, you know, and take a year and do that. So I'm, I'm considering it, looking at the money and looking at everything and, and just, you know, it, it might be nice just to do that for a year and open for like these classic bands, some one from the 80s, one, one from the 90s, maybe, you know, do that for a year. And uh, just, you know, build up more people, like build up, you know, and then go back out in uh, 2023 or 2024 rather. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We might, we might do it next year. I, I got a band I've been trying to get on Summerland forever and ever was like forever would say they weren't a nineties band. Now they're trying to go out with other nineties bands and no one's doing it. So I reached out to their management, to my management and said, do you guys want to talk? Uh, next year and they're like yes i'm like okay and this is a band that didn't want to talk and i love them so we'll see we'll see we'll see you know I have to see uh two questions and then i'm going to let you park and roam free and the the first one is the timing of your career is very curious in that you survived the sunset strip era then World of Noise, when it originally came out on Tim Care Records, not too far from when the Dandy Warhols were on there. So you were part of the indie rock kind of thing, the hipster 
way too uh, way too cool for school thing. But at the same time, a lot of people pegged you as being a post grunge band. So it's always been confusing to go like, which era is art because he's been all over the place. But was Van Halen ever part of your vernacular? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I mean, I never, so this is the deal. I was six, it was my 16th birthday. I'm in Houston, Texas. I had been sent to Texas because I got in trouble with the police, but I was going to go home the next day and I'm in the back of a car. We're going to a party and my friend's hot 18-year-old sister told me that she was my birthday present and she's fully making out with me in the back back seat of the car and she has a college girl boyfriend he's like she's like i'm yours tonight Outro cast.